Well, gentlemen, I have some terrible news. What's up? Uh, we are at the 1966 Oscars, the 1967 ceremony. And uh, unfortunately, this will be the first ceremony post Walt Disney. Walt Disney's dead? No! Yep, December 15th, 1966, Walt Disney dies of complications due to lung cancer. Damn. Being, being a fan of unfiltered cigarettes. Yeah. All you children listening, filter your cigarettes. Filter your cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> no death sticks. <laughs> yeah, God. don't be a don't be a Yvonne Sleaze Bagano. Yeah, don't smoke, just vape. They got like cotton candy flavors out there, kids. <laughs> yeah. Ecto cooler. Yeah. Y'all uh, gonna find that shit again. <laughs> but of course, this means we have reached the end of our podcast within a podcast, Walt Disney Oscar Watch. Son of a bitch. Oh, this is sad. It is. It's 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 been a wonderful addition, I feel, to the podcast. And it's it's brought us so much joy, and I'm I'm really gonna miss it. Yeah. A lot of delightful little anecdotes and little discoveries I never knew about, or things that I revisited from youth. Yeah. I mean, Everybody, I mean, well, not everybody. Most people love Walt Disney. Such a legacy. Yeah, I mean, no matter how you felt about him, he was he was very inspirational to the way that Hollywood was run. Yeah. For better, for worse in most parts. Sure. Right. Right. Some better, some worse. But, you know, starting in 1931, he gets his first Academy Award nomination. He moves a good 30 plus years of just Walt Disney dominating the Oscars. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I feel like we've had a lot of fun covering it. I hope. Absolutely. Our, I hope our audience out there had a good time listening to it. Please tweet at us and let us know. Uh, but I, I thought I'd, I thought I'd bring a present for everybody for, for you gentlemen here. Oh, for all of our listeners. Okay. Uh, something I thought we would all enjoy. Okay. What is it? It's it's a video package of all the fun that we've had. Holy shit. Doing the Walt Disney Oscar watch. And I thought we would watch that video package now. Excellent. Okay. All right. So everybody, please enjoy our Walt Disney Oscar watch memories and commemoration. Motion picture set is probably the most expendable part of filmmaking. As soon as we're finished with the set, the crews tear it apart and start building new ones for our next picture. I think if Walt Disney were here today, he would really embrace the change. Walt was not necessarily sentimental or nostalgic. He was always looking forward, looking ahead. What can I do next? I like to come and see the legends and see their hands here, you know, so that there's a sense of we, we know where we came from and we honor that. We were surrounded by geniuses, <laughs> you know, really very talented people. But everybody here was creative, so nobody made too big a show of it. One of the differences between then and now was that somehow Walt seemed to be everywhere. I just got 
to say one more word. It's, uh, it's wonderful, but uh, I think uh, this is my year to retire. <laughs> Oh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Oh my God. Wow. I, didn't, I didn't think I'd get so emotional that that one clip with your face, that was incredible. It's just, oh. <laughs> and, and the guests that we had along the way, I mean, we, yeah. we included almost all of them. Yeah. Except that one. Yeah. 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 We, we won't talk about that, but right. uh, I can't believe you put that together. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, no. I'm glad everybody enjoyed it. And again, I hope everybody listening enjoyed this wonderful video package that we yeah. just all watch together. Right. Nominate you for an Oscar for that. Oh, God. Garn. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie. Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Zach? We are watching A Man for All Seasons, a film about Sir Thomas More's moral convictions and the battle for his soul against King Henry the eighth and his loyalists is sir thomas moral convictions yeah god damn it moral <laughs> <Start> strong <laughs> uh is this everybody's first time seeing the film yes yes oscar firsties yes Yay! i thought oh, they'd be coming up sweet uh yeah this is this is my first time seeing it and uh yeah and yeah, yeah is yeah is a good enough word yeah <laughs> Yeah, a good enough word to segue into our Oscar breakdown. <laughs> it is a chilly April 10th, 1967. That's probably very untrue. In the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica, California. They really love this place. Mm. Our host tonight is a 16th time Bob Hope. Yeah. Mm. We've got three more. <laughs> um, Hope Springs Eternal. Uh, our... Most nominated film on the evening is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf at 13. And our most awarded film of the evening is A Man for All Seasons at 6. Uh, all right. Man for All Seasons wins Best Picture over Alfie, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Sand Pebbles, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Fred Zinneman, who we all may remember from the From Here to Eternity episode, picking up a Best Director Oscar for that, picks up another one for A Man for All Seasons. Uh, beating out Mike Nichols for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, a play that he originated on Broadway and then directed. Uh, that, was it his directorial the, debut? His directorial debut. What a man, that Mike Nichols. I cannot wait to talk more about him, uh, but I'm going to skip over him this week. Okay. Uh because I, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Uh, Paul Schofield wins Best Actor for A Man for All Seasons. Elizabeth Taylor picks up Best Actress for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. 
but does not show uh, neither her nor Paula Schofield are there to pick up their Oscars. I forget why Schofield wasn't there, but Elizabeth Taylor was pretty sure that her husband, Richard Burton, was going to lose Best Actor and decided not to show because of that. Okay, well. And, of course, he did not. Hmm. Uh, Walter Matthau picks up Best Supporting Actor for The Fortune Cookie, oh. the, first, the first film featuring he and Jack Lemmon together. Aw, nice. Uh, yeah, Jonathan, I especially thought you'd enjoy that since you bring up grumpier old men like every Just other all episode. The time. <laughs> uh, uh, Sandy Dennis uh, gets Best Supporting Actress for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, beating out Wendy Hiller for A Man for All Seasons. Oh, and Robert Shaw loses Best Supporting Actor to Walter Matthau. I don't want to skip that. Uh, this movie should have had a lot more Robert Shaw. Just want to bring that up. <laughs> okay. Uh, best story and screenplay written directly for the screen goes to a man and a woman, oddly written by two men. Uh, best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to a man for all seasons. Best foreign language film goes to a man and a woman. Best documentary feature goes to the war game. Sorry, Matthew Broderick. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, I made some reference to that film to Leanne, I think even yesterday, and she had never heard of that film. And I was like, ah, reference wasted. <laughs> <laughs> something about somebody said something about the internet being like, oh, we, we invented the internet and everybody was like, oh, look at it. It's so new and it's going to help mankind. I was like, yeah, but we're making films in the 80s about how the internet was going to start nuclear <laughs> war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, best documentary short subject goes to A Year Toward Tomorrow. Best short subject live action goes to Wild Wings. Uh, best short subject cartoon goes to A Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass Double Feature. <laughs> Herb Albert. Yes. So they have the, the album with the woman covered with whipped cream. That's really the only thing I know about them. Right. Yeah. American Pie? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking about Black Widow anymore. Ah. Um, best original music score goes to Born Free by John Barry. Ah, oh, shit, yeah. Best scoring of music, adaptation, or treatment goes to A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, based on a musical by Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. um, best song goes to Born Free. Free the is way the wind. the wind blows, yes. And somehow Alfie from Alfie is nominated here. For Backrack and Hal David have written much better songs. Uh, best sound effects go to Grand Prix. Best sound goes to Grand Prix. Best art direction, black and white, goes to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Best art direction, color, goes to Fantastic Voyage. Best cinematography, black and white, goes to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Very deserved. Mm. Uh, best cinematography, color, Man for All Seasons. Best costume design black and white goes to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Best costume design color goes to Man for All Seasons. Best film editing goes to Grand Prix. And best special visual effects goes to Fantastic Voyage over Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, honorary awards tonight. We have recipients of honorary awards and, of course, or two honorary awards. And then our memorial awards are given out. So uh, that's been the first time in a few years. Okay. Uh, Yakima Knut 
gets an honorary award for achievements as a stuntman and for developing safety devices to protect stuntmen everywhere. Oh. Uh, you may know him best as the stuntman who did the uh, drop down in stagecoach uh, that was John Wayne's character going under the the horses on uh -huh. the stagecoach. Big, big stunt for the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also was the stunt director who pretty much directed the um, chariot races in Ben-Hur. <laughs> oh, so, hell yeah. Nice. So he's been all over yeah. this podcast and he's just been kind of hanging out in the background as stunt people are good at doing. And now yeah. he's out in the forefront getting an honorary reward for a lifetime of amazing work. Yes. Well uh, done, sir. Well done, indeed. Uh, why Frank Freeman gets an honorary award for unusual and outstanding service to the Academy during his 30 years <laughs> in Hollywood. Unusual, eh? Unusual. I did not do any <laughs> research on why Frank Freeman. I did not see the word unusual, or I would have. Uh, you know, tweet at us. Let us know anything you find out about why Frank Freeman. Please. Uh, especially you, Greg O'Neill. Uh, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award goes to the great two-time Oscar winner Robert Wise uh, and the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award goes to George Bagnell, who does not have a hyperlink on Wikipedia. So I know huh. nothing about this person. And that is our Oscar breakdown. Well, thank All you right. for taking us uh, right along on that fantastic voyage. <laughs> slide, slide, slippity slide. Hmm. Well done. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about um, A Man of All for All Seasons. Let's do that. So I like this movie. Okay. Um, I enjoy a lot of dialogue, and that's all this movie is. And I believe the, the, the Thomas More character, I love the lawyer talk throughout the entire thing. Mm. Like the, the diplomatic way of, you know, how he talked. Right. Um, I just, I, I enjoyed that. Um, this was not an entertaining movie though. <laughs> right. Well, that's about the same as what I was going to say. I, I like this movie, but it, you know, it's incredibly well written. It's got great mm -hmm. acting. As mm -hmm. far as I've uh, heard and read, it's very historically accurate, even like, like as far as like the sets and, and the clothing and, and the uh procedural stuff um but it is very very dry and it a little super dry. <laughs> a little boring at times yeah but the one thing um it's kind of odd to think that just reading about the history of it is a little more entertaining than actually watching the movie and i think that's that's unfortunate when you've got a lot of interesting historical stuff going on Sure, sure. So maybe this wasn't the best uh, use of the narrative. I well, I think the interesting stuff is on the Henry VIII stuff, mm -hmm. whereas like the Thomas More stuff, which is what this focused on, may not have been the entertaining aspects of what was going on. Right. So, yeah, we all want to see how naughty Anne Malin is. But <laughs> that's not what Thomas More is focusing on. I'm going to say that this movie was just not for me. I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> and Fair enough. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mm. get it. <laughs> I, 
I am I am also usually into really, really talky films. You know, watch um Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? It's all dialogue. That's it. There's yeah. it, but Mike Nichols just infused that film with such energy and such uh just je ne sais quoi that there's just something about it. It's always right. interesting to look at. Like he never lets these four people in this household feel dull. And here we have people in big fluffy costumes walking around gorgeous sets and yeah. beautiful landscapes and everything about it is just like, this should be really interesting. And it isn't. Yeah. And I get that. I really do. It, it's just for me, I think it was just a really well-made script, at least dialogue wise. Yeah. I'm, but I'm also yeah. going to say that I could not relate to Thomas More in oh. any way, shape, or oh, form. Yeah. No, at no. no point did I feel sorry for him, or <laughs> yeah. I was just like, you're being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I think my main thought on the whole historical context of this, it really reveals just the pure absurd absurdity of the pomp and circumstance of all this over an annulled marriage. You know, dissolving the power of bishops and the Pope, a formation of the Church of England, just because a guy couldn't get a divorce because Thomas More is afraid he's going to go to hell if if he agrees to it. And that, yeah, I I just wanted well Thomas More to die like, so, the entire well, movie. Then he's like, Please just die. <laughs> I don't think he was worried so much about the going to hell thing. I think they try to play that a little bit more at the end. Hmm. I think it was just more of his stubbornness and his personal morals and ethics, yeah. which are all yeah. based off of being, you know, a devout Catholic, but he never really shows being a religious person. He's just about as religious as everybody else is. It's just that he's more stubborn on his yeah. beliefs than anything else. Yeah. So what I liked about him though, is his ability to lawyer his way through the movie like that that whole silence thing's like i didn't take the oath but i'm not never once said hey i agree with what the king did or nothing like that like he's yeah. just like lead the fifth he he was very diplomatic and i like the way that everything was worded with him yeah and yeah. how i just like his because his like i said i don't didn't feel him religious he was more actually devout to the law itself yeah. and how strict it was and <laughs> i liked that yeah i think and paul schofield was pretty pretty great i mean he was oh yeah incredible yeah. performance no matter i i don't think i give him best actor but i think that he <laughs> he does sure. do a really good job um i did not like robert shaw though oh i loved robert shaw <laughs> really he was, my, I, uh, he was my second favorite part of this movie i just he was just too too much energy like, look, <laughs> mud. <laughs> like, oh and, my god! And I think that's, I think that's why I was drawn to him so much because it's like I'm falling asleep. I, I need to, I need to fall asleep now. And then Robert Shaw comes on screen. He's like, I'm bringing all of the energy <laughs> of the entire movie. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, there's something <laughs> happening, and, and he's gone again. But it's yeah. just the fact that you, you get that that character who's very energetic and being the serious backbone of the story though like i mean it's all about him it just kind of 
I don't know, pulled me away from that kind of immersion. Like, it's like, hey, he's really that silly. Why is he like, he can't hold this kind of grudge. And, you you know, you got to look at also like Cromwell was more the the instigator, but always we're constantly hearing how it was the king who wanted to kind of push everything forward. So, yeah. I'm trying to um, think, uh, is Henry Eighth usually, I know he's, um, historically in his youth he was charismatic and energetic but is he often shown as so uh um, if manic is the right word or the wrong word but yeah <laughs> uh, i've i mean i i don't watch a lot of this period type of movies because they're very shakespearean nine times out of ten mm. and i don't like a lot of shakespeare movies where i liked this one because it wasn't shakespeare <laughs> Like it was like, hey, this was what happened. Yeah. Without that rhyme and meter towards it. Um, but I, I just like I said, it was the dialogue in this movie and the clever wording on how things were done that I enjoyed. Um but a lot of the characters I was just kind of like, eh. <laughs> like maybe John Hurt running around. <laughs> <laughs> oh god little, he creeped me out the entire damn time yeah. <laughs> um like the roper character i fucking hated him that was my favorite part of the movie really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i loved roper so much like, i think i i really think because he was the other energy in the movie there were two characters of energy and i just feel like tonally they didn't belong even though i think they were there so that like you said they can bring some kind of energy to wake the crowd up a little bit, but, or, or they're, they're mostly there to give juxtaposition to, uh, to more. Like yeah. he's, he's very somber and thoughtful. And these, <laughs> these two are brash and they're energetic and yeah, they, they uh, like, no wonder he doesn't want this guy marrying his daughter. He has a personality. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, he said he did like the guy. He he was all about him. He was just like, well, but you're not Catholic, so you're a heretic. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like if it wasn't for that, I'd jump on my daughter. But um, but every Nigel, time he was every time he was on screen, he was just he was such a delight. He's <laughs> like, I'm I'll take the I'll take those chains off you, and then I'll tell you all about how much I fucking hate the king. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Admire that about him. And I just like I said, tonally, it just it did. I didn't feel like it belonged. But you you can't have the whole movie being dry. So yeah. Um, Nigel Davenport though as the Duke of Norfolk was amazing I loved him throughout this entire movie he was um, just kind of that like that best friend who had was kind of torn between you know his friendship and you know his country and his king but had to choose his king and -hmm. was telling his friend hey you're kind of being a fuckwit knock the shit off I, I enjoyed that character and I liked the way that he was played. Yeah. Me too. Um, and I, Orson Welles looked like he was going to die the entire movie. Yeah. Oh my God. You can see like every vein in his face. I was like, how is this not an HD camera? And I could see every single vein in Orson Welles' face. Oh my gosh. Has Orson Welles ever played uh, Winston Churchill? I don't believe so. I feel like he could have. 
like with the yeah. way that he talked in this movie, I was like, that guy, he can do Churchill. He he played Unicron, which is a lot well, like yeah. Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It, it, Fuck. It, <laughs> sort of sad seeing him around starting this time of movies where his health really declines, but yeah. But he was, it, you know, still blasting out strong little performances here and there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and frozen food commercials. I <laughs> <laughs> just always uh, think of that Animaniac taste. skit with uh, taste the, the guy who does brain. <laughs> the Marsh. Yeah. That was, uh, that was the critic. The was that the, the critic? Penis? That's right. Yeah. That was. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Delicious penis. <laughs> <laughs> They're even better when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to give a shout out to my girl Wendy Hiller who played uh, Moore's wife. Uh, of course, she was Eliza Doolittle in the nineteen thirty eight Pygmalion. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I thought she was incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely, definitely <laughs> deserve that nomination. Yeah, and she, uh, you know, I see uh, she kind of plays your your uh, train of thought. Like Thomas, knock it, knock the shit off, and just come home. What the fuck? <laughs> exactly, and you know. Yeah. And, and I also feel like I'm taking this through a very modern lens. Where I'm like, this is all over nothing. This You're literally giving up your life for a cause that doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, what do you care? Yeah. I'm, I'm in yeah. my late 30s now, and half of my fa- married friends are divorced. Mm. Yeah. And... Um, a lot of it is amicable and it's like, Hey, that was really healthy. That was a healthy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, it, it's all absurdity. I mean, like you said, we're, we're coming from a more, uh, a modern lens and it's hard to believe it ever was that way, I guess. Right. Well, and, and, and I like that whole, you know, who, what is the Pope here? Like how much control does he have over us? Yeah. Fine. If he's not going to be okay with it, I'm the fucking Pope now. Like, <laughs> Look at me. I, I am deported. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I can kind of like re- I don't want to respect that, but you know, hey, how about just fucking you don't need a Church of England sort of right. thing. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's that's the skeptic side of me where you know there's there's the modern lens where I just don't see divorces, I guess, a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it affects people personally, and that's a lot of time and effort that you put into a relationship that's now gone. But, right. but in the grand scheme of things, like what does divorce really matter? And then on the other side of things, I'm not religious and people using their religion as a bully, like a billy club to beat other people down. Yeah. Yeah. Really annoys me. And that's <laughs> how I saw Thomas Moore. He's like, I'm going to use my religion to stand in your way for nothing. Right. Fuck you. You're a piece of shit. And I don't want to watch this movie about you anymore. <laughs> but the thing is, he wasn't trying to stand in the way. He was literally trying to step aside. He was just like, I mean, you're going to do you no matter what. I'm not okay with it, but I, you're going to do you. So I'm just going to say nothing, which is, I think if, of the ways to go, that's the better way of to just be like, all right, bro. Cool. Yeah, if I don't agree with somebody. All I'm going to do most of the time is go, all right, bro, cool. Yeah, 
But if somebody puts a piece of paper in front of you and says they're going to chop off your head if you don't sign it. No, and there's a fucking line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if somebody comes up to you and say, uh, yeah, the sky's blue. All right, bro, yeah. cool. Sign and this paper and say the sky's blue, I'm going to kill you. Cross your fingers behind your back and move on. Yeah, yeah. and that's not to say that I stood on Henry VIII's side. He's no. also a piece of shit. He's yeah. Just, yeah. He's just a really hot young Robert Shaw, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Lovely singing. Indeed. Jeez. But I, I just, like I said, this movie, it's not something I'm going to go back and watch. Right. Like, I don't see myself doing that at any point. But it's one that I'm happy I got to see. That I, Good. I may not have been entertained in the definitive sense, but I was, I, I enjoyed the art of good dialogue. Yeah. And clever dialogue is what I got out of this. Mm-hmm. And I will say that as a piece of art and, and uh, on, on most of the technical sides, as I said, they're beautiful set pieces. The costumes are gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. shot really well. Yeah. Uh, none of the acting is bad. It's really just, I didn't enjoy the script. I thought it was bland and went on for too long. You could have chopped about half an hour out of this movie and done okay. Fair. And... The subject matter just annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> and I, I know that's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I, I personally gave it three stars. There's nothing technically wrong with it. I just find it boring. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, any notes on the movie there, Jeremy? Oh, the, the uh, Moore's daughter was the love interest in uh, Tom Jones. Oh, yeah. It was Susanna York. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. Yeah. All right. Um, now, was this a British-made movie? Yes, this was a British-made movie, so it's not in the National Film Registry. Okay. It but felt pretty British. Is there anything? <sighs> oh, my. <clears throat> is there anything from 66 that is in the Library of Congress? Yes, I believe we have, like, seven films. So, okay, you know. An infinite amount more than last <laughs> 65. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to read you off what's in here. And I would like you to guess what got in first. Okay. 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 So we have Castro Street, a documentary short subject experimental film. Cicero March, a documentary short subject. The Endless Summer documentary about surfing that I love. Mm. Uh, Navajo Film Themselves documentary short subject. Seconds, which is one of the only two narrative features that gets in for the year. Uh, A Time for Burning, a documentary. And then Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Okay. First off, I'm going to say I'm bothered. Why is that? Why is Batman not in the registry? I don't know. Uh, because what the fuck? Yeah. Because what the fuck? But if you didn't mention it, I was going to mention it. So I was going to mention it in my yeah, <laughs> my little wrap up later. Okay. So let's see. Mm. So Castro Street, <clears throat> Castro Street, Cicero March, The Endless Summer, Navajo Film Themselves, Seconds, A Time for Burning, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I'm just going to. Take a shot of the dark and say a time for burning. I'm going to say 
Navajo film themselves that seems like maybe it has historical importance to record in the Library of Congress. Sure. I'm sad to say that neither of you are right. Ooh. Is it uh, Who's time, Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Time no. for Burning goes in in 2005. I was expecting one of you to guess that. That is also no, right. No, because uh, we've been burnt too many times. <laughs> uh, uh, t- speaking of burnt, Time for Burning uh, goes in in 2005, and Navajo Film Themselves goes into 2000, in 2002. The film that gets in the earliest is Castro Street, the documentary short subject experimental film. It goes into 1992. Oh, wow. Okay. Inspired, I feel like they're just throwing darts at a freaking board at this point. Uh, inspired by Satie, the film uses the sounds and sights of a city street, in this case, Castro Street, near the Standard Oil Refinery in Richmond, California, complete with diesel trains and gas plants to convey the street's own mood and feel as there is no dialogue in this non-narrative experimental film. Wow. Congress getting artsy. Yeah, pretty early on, too. Fair enough. So that is 1966. I'm going to give a little teaser for next week. There is a lot of films from 1967. Nice. Nice. All right, let's get into our worsty judgments. So, Zach, does this movie deserve Best Picture? I have to admit that I am pretty underwhelmed with 1966 American films. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of foreign films that just missed the cutoff of being recognized in, in with American releases, I guess. Like Godzilla versus the sea monster. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, no, I'll, mention it next week also but i'll I'll mention it both weeks because it's worth it i gotta say the good the bad and the ugly um is like the film of 66 for me even though it's yeah it's incredible doesn't have an american release this year so yeah you got persona and andre rublev gonna mention those probably next week also anyway of the best picture nominees we've got watched the russians are coming the russians are coming and (laughs) It was one of those movies where I smirked a bunch, but I didn't laugh. I, 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 you know, it's, I guess it's typical for kind of this era of comedy. There's not a lot of subtlety, which maybe it didn't need it, but I thought it was, uh, all right. I really liked, um, Alan Arkin in it. Arkin's so good. Yeah. It's his first film too. Yeah. That's (laughs) amazing. And he gets nominated for best actor for it. (laughs) Yep. But um, I don't think it should have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch Alfie or The Sand Pebbles. Um, I, I think something that should have been nominated was How to Steal a Million with uh, Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn. That's a good one. It's a delightful movie. And um, Why not give Batman 66 and Born Free nominations also? Let's shake it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um but no, if if it's going to be anything, it's going to be Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's the the one out of the nominees that deserves it. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, 67 seemed pretty. Uh, or sorry, 66 seemed pretty meh. And looking at just you know all of the like notable films of the year, I've seen Batman, 
and <laughs> Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, which isn't something that's even available for us to talk about. So I, I just, does it deserve it? I, it doesn't feel like a Best Picture winner, but not seeing anything or even recognizing anything else that would have come out that year. Uh, like, what else do they? What else do they go with? Yeah. So maybe would be my answer, Paul. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. I actually watched all the Best Picture nominees this year. Oh, nice. I was very happy. Uh, I didn't finish Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf this week, but it was the one I saved for last because it's the one I have the like most active memory of, mm-hmm. which, I, which I always try to do. I just try to watch the ones I haven't seen and then save the ones that I have right. seen. And like I had seen The Sands Pebbles before, but I didn't remember a lot about it because I had watched it maybe like 25 years ago. Anyway, so uh, going my least favorite to my favorite, I guess Alfie was big for its time. I don't understand why. I, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I love Michael Caine. I think he's great in the film. But the film's fine. I don't know how it got nominated for Best Picture. I mean, aside from, you know, a campaign, which I have some fun notes next week. Um, okay. I just don't think it's a very good film. And I didn't like the remake either. Uh, I don't think it's a bad film. I just don't think it's very good. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I kind of feel the same way about that, that as I do for man for all seasons and man for all seasons would be in my number four spot of these five movies. Uh, then the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I, I giggled a few times really early on. Jonathan Winters is always funny to me. Uh, and he's great in the film. Uh, and Alan Arkin is incredible. And I, will kind of just follow um i will just kind of follow carl reiner anywhere and i while he's not my favorite performance in this movie he's still a lot of fun (laughs) uh it's a cute film and it's a nice little uh cold war paranoia anti-war film and yeah i i i think if you (laughs) you watched it you'd probably enjoy it but i'm with you zach it's it's not laugh out loud funny but yeah there there are times where i was like that's that's funny right yeah i'm chuckling now <laughs> thinking about the kid falling out of the church tower at the end i mean just the yeah. <laughs> ridiculous of the scene itself i i think the biggest laughs i got from the movie were the son at the beginning where he's like don't tell him anything dad they haven't even started torturing you yet <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um and so my next one would be Sam Pebbles, which is, again, a film I had seen and is a beautiful film. I think Robert Wise did a great job with it. And it's funny to think that Robert Wise wanted to make that film, but couldn't get it produced. So he was like, all right, I guess I'll take I guess I'll take the next thing that comes along. And the next thing that comes along is the fucking sound of music. <laughs> So so while he's waiting to make the film he wants to make he just you know makes one of the greatest movie musicals of all time just just because he could nice i like that um and the sam pebbles again i don't think it quite nails everything that it's trying to say but it's a very specific like anti-vietnam war film set 
in the fallout of uh, World War I China. Oh. Uh, and Steve McQueen is awesome in it. He's so good. And Mako, who we all probably know best as the villain from Samurai Jack, uh, gets nominated <laughs> for his role in this. He is awesome. And it's really funny because I remember most of the first half of the film and I forgot almost the entire second half of the film. <laughs> so I'm really happy I watched it. Good. It's uh, like, is it three hours and 16 minutes? Is that a true run time? Uh, that's, if you watch it on HBO Max, it's like 259. Okay. Uh, because I believe the 316 is the road show. Uh, so it probably had like an overture and a intermission, but there's no overture or intermission on HBO Max. Okay. I'll watch it sometime. I just didn't quite have time this week, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I don't think it really nails what it's trying to say very well, but it, it is obviously trying to say it. And mm -hmm. that goes, that goes a long way with some of the things that happen in the film, but it's good. It's a really good film. And I, I, I think uh, people should, See it if they feel like they want to. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf's goddamn classic. It is the best in this field, and it's one of the great play adaptations where, again, I said it earlier, Mike Nichols makes that film feel energetic. Yeah. And something, he's always doing something with the camera. There's always something to look at. And he never lets these four people talking feel dull. It just keeps moving and it keeps going and they're so vicious and yeah. vile and I love it. <laughs> uh, I I think that film's incredible and Elizabeth Taylor just burns down the fucking screen. Yeah, uh, it's good. It's a good movie and that should have won out of these five. But Batman should have won Best Picture because it's Batman and that Batman. film rules. Batman Hell yeah! Propellant. Yeah, and some <laughs> days you on. can't get rid of a bomb. Come on, man. <laughs> Where are we at? Uh, Agreed. Well. The question, is this the worst Best Picture, Zach? Is it the worst? No. Uh, you know, I ha we haven't really mentioned what our worst still is in a few weeks, but, you know, Greatest Show on Earth and Gigi are still dragging the bottom of the lake for me. Uh, like Paul said, even though I probably like it more than him, it's technically sound. Everything's fine with the way the movie's made. Not boring, yeah, but does that make it the worst? No. Uh, I'm looking at my list. I haven't sorted it yet because I usually wait until after so Paul won't accidentally see it or something if he's notified on Letterboxd. Um, I might stick it between Grand Hotel and Gentleman's Agreement the round spot number 25 out of 39. So, bottom middle. Fair enough. And that's, that's about where I put it because, yeah, no, this isn't the worst. There's no Nazis or racism or child grooming so you know not the worst but i i did enjoy this yeah. uh but as we had mentioned it's it's just kind of boring so middle of the road this is about not yeah. over not yeah. under just whelmed this movie whelmed me so well uh zach you and i aren't as far apart as you you think uh you said yours was probably about 25 i'm sitting at 28 okay so uh, I have it right next to Grand Hotel as well, <laughs> uh, which is in my 29 spot. And I put it right under Hamlet. It's like, you know, it felt uh, a lot like 
it felt alive like that Hamlet, but it didn't have a bitch and ass sword fight. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So I think that would be the determining factor. It's just great fight choreography <laughs> where this one has or, look mud or that, <laughs> or that sweet ghost puppet. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I've got Hamlet grand hotel, gentleman's agreement. And yeah. then this movie. So. I got Gentleman's Agreement 2 under Grand Hotel. Great Zig Fields right there next to it. Yeah. Um, this is the yeah, only I, thing stopping me from making a list. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I'm with you. It's mundane in middle of the road, and it doesn't have a cool sore fight. So, yeah, that's what, that's how it ends up there. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, we'll go ahead and call it here. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me. On Twitter, TikTok, and Twitch at Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, or TikTok at House Havoc. Paul? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Father of the Fear across all platforms. Follow me on Letterboxd so you can see my running tally of these films and uh, just see what else I'm watching in general. I watched Black Widow today, and it was okay. I gave it the same rating as Man for All Seasons. I gave it a little bit better, but, you know, it is still okay. The third third act act is is really, like, and if, God, I paused, I had to pause it before the third act really kicked off, and the third act was like, there's still like 40 minutes left of the movie. I was like, oh, that's way too much time. (laughs) That's it, I'm done. Well, what are we watching next week, Zach? Oh, and so what are we watching next week, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> we are watching In the Heat of the Night, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, Voodoo, or YouTube. All right. <laughs> we would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at Oscar Worsty Pod and on Instagram at Oscar Worsty Pod and on Facebook at The Oscar Worsty Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It really helps us to be more visible in the almighty rhythm of Alcor. The rhythm of For Jonathan, Zach, and a hot Robert Shaw as Henry VIII, I would like for you all to have a damn fine day.